friends, God is at work. He always is. And we're going to see how he is at work in a portion of the story from the book of Joshua. We have been looking at Matthew's genealogy, specifically looking at the mothers of Jesus. Matthew tells us that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. And our Savior has the blood of sinners coursing through his veins. The blood of broken relationships, the blood of dysfunctional families, the blood of murder, the blood of division, the blood of prostitutes, as we'll see again today. Your Savior has the blood of sinners coursing through his veins. Hear how God is at work through the life of Rahab. Joshua 2, 1 through 21. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the ford. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what, did, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them. And deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. 
Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in this house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your word, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Matthew 1, 1 through 6. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this portion of your word, and we ask that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand, and wills to obey, that we might see Jesus high and lifted up. In his name we pray. What is faith? What does faith entail? Some of you are here this morning and you know exactly how to answer that question. You've had faith in God since before you can remember thoughts. You've never known a day where you didn't want to grow in your faith. You agree with the author of Hebrews that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. You know the unseen realities that you hope in. Others of you here this morning might be far from faith. You're unsure what it would look like for you to have faith, and especially to have faith in the God of the Bible. You have many doubts, many concerns, many questions. You live your life believing only in things that you can see, that you can touch, that you can taste, that you can feel, or at least you try to convince yourself that that's what you really do. Others of, yourself, others of you find yourself in the middle of these two extremes. Well, this morning we want to look at a story of faith, specifically of Rahab's faith, a surprising convert. Rahab is mentioned in several places in the scripture, especially in the New Testament, as a paradigm of faith. She's listed along with people like Abraham and Moses and David. She's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 in the great hall of fame of faith. She's mentioned in the epistle to James along with Abraham of what faith and action looks like. So what is faith? What is Rahab's faith? What would our faith look like? Well, let's answer that from three different aspects from our text. First, faith's story, then faith's action, and finally, faith's fruit. First, faith's story. Our story begins in a surprising place. It begins in a brothel. It begins in the house of a prostitute. A brothel is a place where you can come and go anonymously, 
It's a place where you don't have to tell people your name, where you've come from, where you're going, what you're doing in that place. Brothels are places where secrets are kept. It's a perfect place for two spies. And our text doesn't get into why these two Israelite spies are in a brothel in a first place. Maybe they were customers. Who knows? Maybe they were just there because they knew that this was the safest place for them to be in the city. But our story begins in a brothel with Rahab. And somebody discovered who they were. And somebody begins to spread the news that there are two spies in the land, and that news reaches the king. And the king comes to Rahab, wanting Rahab to sell them out. But she doesn't. She tells the king that she sent the spies away in another direction, so the king's men chase them in the wrong place, and she protects them. When the king's men are gone, she goes to the roof and finds them, And says to them, as it were, the heart of faith's story. Your God reigns. Your God is the king. Your God is the ruler. Your God is the one who is over all the other gods in heaven and on earth. Your God has given to you the victory. Your God has destroyed the Egyptians And we know that you have come to this land and that you're going to take over this land and that you're going to destroy us as well. And before that happens, I'm asking you, I'm begging you to pray, to intervene to your God so that our family might be saved, so that you might remember our family in God's kindness as he comes in his victory to this place. It's a story about God. Faith always begins with God. And Rahab beautifully tells this great story that our God reigns, that our God is the king, that he's the one who is enthroned over heaven and earth. Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the brothel owner tells Faith's story. And she connects herself to a different reality in telling the spies this story. She connects herself to the reality that God is king, that God is judge, that God is ruler, that God is the one that she must do business with. She doesn't tell a cultural story. She doesn't tell an economic story. She doesn't tell a political story. She doesn't tell a military story. She could have told all those stories to the spies. But instead, she tells a faith story. She puts the cultural and economic and political and military perspectives into the story of the God of Israel. She's heard about Israel's God. She knows how powerful Israel's God is. And when she's given the opportunity to tell this story, she says to the spies, as it were, this is now my story. This is what I'm orienting my life around. This is a story that's going to change me, that's going to transform me, that's going to change my business, that's going to change how I interact in this place and in this city, that's going to change all of my relationships. This is my exodus. This is my liberation. This is my redemption. 
this is my way out. The fact that your God is coming to this place changes everything in how I live my life. And Rahab shows us the true nature of faith's story. Rahab, she didn't know everything that God had done. She recounts some things, but she doesn't recount everything. Rahab, she didn't know everything that God was going to do. She anticipated some things, but she could not anticipate everything. She did not concern herself with all of the details. She concerned herself with what she knew to be true about God and about his world. She oriented her life around the knowledge that she had. And she said, this knowledge, this truth, is going to change everything about me and everything about the world around me. Friends, one of the reasons why I love worshiping the way that we do week in and week out around our liturgical practices is that we have an opportunity in our worship to retell the Christian story every single week. And the way our church does it is by confessing the faith of the Apostles' Creed. And one of the reasons why I love saying the Apostles' Creed each and every week is it's, it's one of the simplest retellings of the Christian story of what we believe that God has done in the past to be our creator, to be our redeemer, and what we believe God will do again in the future in coming again to rescue his world. And what's beautiful about recounting the Apostles' Creed is that it orients us around faith story that it isn't that complex. And we see this picture in Ruth, in Rahab. Rahab says, I know who your God is the king, the judge, the ruler, the one who's coming to this place, and I want in on this story. Now, some of us know the Christian story in far greater detail than Rahab did, in far greater detail than the Apostles' Creed outlines for us. Some of us know this story really, really well. We've devoted our lives to knowing this story. We've spent years and years studying this story. Some of us even have degrees attached to this story. That's great. That's awesome. Studying and learning the Christian story is part of growing as a Christian. Others of us don't know the story very well. Some of us may be exploring that story, and the reality that people in this community know the story so well might worry us and say, man, if I have to spend that much time learning this story and knowing this story, I don't know if I can ever become a Christian. I must have a ton of knowledge in order to put my faith in Jesus. And Rahab's story teaches us we don't have to have that much knowledge. The issue isn't how much knowledge we have. The issue is what we do with the knowledge that we do have. Rahab took the little teeny tiny knowledge that she had of Israel's God, that he had conquered the Egyptians, that he was coming to conquer her city, that he was the one who ruled in heaven and on earth, and she said, that's enough knowledge to turn my life completely upside down. And it's enough knowledge for us to know that God's a creator, that God's a savior, that he sent his son, that his son lived and died and rose again. And that his son is coming back, and we wait in that hope. That's enough knowledge for us to put our faith and our hope and our trust in him and to turn our lives 
upside down. And because of Faith's story, we learn through Rahab that we have an insight into Faith's action. That's our second point, Faith's action. Rahab and these two spies enter into this beautiful, life-giving relationship. They enter into an agreement. They enter into a covenant. The spies say to Rahab, our lives for yours. And Rahab responds, my life for yours as well. They show us the nature of faith's action. You see, there really are only two ways to live in this world. The first says, your life for mine. Your life for mine. And all of us know what it's like to be in a relationship with someone like this. We all know narcissists. And we all have narcissism that lives inside of each and every one of us. Even the most giving people in our world have streaks of selfishness in them. This type of lifestyle, your life for mine, leads to all sorts of dysfunctions, all sorts of divisions, all sorts of disillusions in our relationships. And the worst type of your life for mine is a religious type, where we come to God with this mindset where we treat God like he's some sort of genie, that he exists only and purely to do whatever we want him to do in our lives. Your life for mine is not the Christian faith. It's not what is going to produce faith's action. It's not how faith's story works itself out. Rather, Christian faith, as we learn from our text, says, our life for yours my life for you, our life for yours, even to death. Christian faith is sacrificial love in action. It's costly love. It's creative love. It makes promises to prostitutes. It protects spies. It watches God do amazing things through the seeds of faith that are planted. It trusts that God is going to water those seeds and cause them to flourish in ways that we can't even ask or imagine. Rahab and the spies show us what faith in action looks like. That's why Rahab's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of fame of faith. That's why she's mentioned in James chapter 2, right alongside Abraham, to show us what faith in action looks like. Faith in action dreams. Faith in action trusts. It promises. It waits. It hopes. Faith in action protects. Faith in action provides. It prays. Friends, you and I may never be given the opportunity to hide spies. You and I may never be given the opportunity to harbor, protect a family during a war. You may never be given the opportunity to make a promise to a prostitute. But we're given countless opportunities day after day after day after day to pray for to protect, to provide, to hope, to wait, to promise, to trust, to dream in faith. Faith's story always leads to faith's action. Faith's story becomes alive in us. It becomes a part of us where we want to make promises to other people and say, our life for yours, even if it's costly to me, even unto death. Well, third, faith produces fruit. Faith bears fruit. And faith bears fruit in Rahab's life in the most surprising ways. Rahab 
the prostitute, Rahab, the brothel owner, was without husband or children. In our text, as Rahab is entering into negotiations for protection, she says that she's asking for her father to be protected, her mother, her brothers, her sisters, and all who belong to them. She doesn't say, protect my husband. She doesn't say, protect my children. Then in chapter 6, as these negotiations play out, when Jericho is destroyed, we learn that Rahab and her father and her mother and her siblings and all that belong to them are spared. But there's no mention of a husband for Rahab. There's no mention of children for Rahab. And this isn't all that surprising for a prostitute. Prostitutes aren't known for being in life-giving, lasting relationships. But then something surprising, something wonderful, something amazing and overwhelming happens to Rahab. She becomes a wife. Rahab the Canaanite marries into the family of Israel. She marries Saul. And then together, they become generative in their relationship. And something even more amazing and more wonderful happens. Rahab becomes a mother. She gives birth to Boaz. And through her, kings and leaders and protectors and providers of God's people are given through her lineage, through her line, through her seed. And many, many years later, Mary and Joseph and Rahab's family give birth to Jesus. And he would be the fulcrum. He would be the climax of Israel's story. He would be the fulcrum and the climax of the world's story as the center of faith's story, as the person whom faith's story is pointing to, as the one whom Christianity is all about. And in his story, we get a glimpse as well of what faith looks like. Because his story is faith in action. Faith to trust, faith to wait, faith to pray, faith to hope in the midst of battle, in the midst of warfare, in the midst of darkness. And his action isn't like the world's action. It's not what his followers expected of him. He didn't use the weapons of warfare. His action wasn't your life or mine, but rather it was my life for yours, even to the point of death, even death on the cross. The cross, the embodiment of God's sacrificial love for us. And the story of his faith, that Jesus is a king, that Jesus is a Lord, that Jesus is a ruler over all things. His actions have led to great fruit in his world. He is reigning. He is ruling. He is battling against all of his enemies. He has sent his spirit into the world to empower his people to live for him in countless creative ways. And so we learn from people like Rahab. We learn from the spies how to give birth to caring for the poor, how to give birth to feeding the hungry, how to give birth to loving the widow, how to give birth to protecting the immigrant, how to give birth to teaching the ignorant, parenting the orphan. Rahab wasn't generative in her relationships until she formally united herself to the people of God. And once she became united to the people of God, she couldn't stop being generative. 
In fact, her story is still producing life in God's world today. Because we're talking about her story, and we're telling her story, and we're recounting her story of what faith looks like so that our lives and our stories might be shaped by her hope. Friends, we who belong to Jesus by faith, we're to be just like Rahab. We're to bring his life into the world in countless and creative ways. His story continues through us. And so let's just think briefly of some ways that we might be able to apply this story to our own lives from this text. First, be somebody who protects others. Be somebody who protects others. Embody my life for you in all of your relationships. Sometimes you may have to get creative in how you protect others and how you embody my life for you in your relationships like Rahab's and the spies did. Most of the time this happens in everyday mundane encounters and situations like washing the dishes, doing laundry, sending emails, raising children. The more that we live my life for you through sacrificial love, my life for you at any cost, my life for you, even unto death, the more that the life of God breaks out in our world and bears fruit among us. Second, deal kindly with others. Deal kindly with others. Biblical kindness is faithfulness. It's loyalty. It's steadfast love. Rahab and the spies promise each other to have this type of relationship together. Biblical kindness is embodiment of sacrificial love. And it gives birth to greater and greater and greater kindness in God's world. Kindness begets kindness. So deal kindly with your friends. Deal kindly with your spouses, your children, your co-workers. The more you embody the kindness of God, the more that the life of God will break out among us. And then third... Don't try to control or manage where God's life breaks out in the world. Oftentimes it breaks out in the places where we would least expect it to. Sometimes it breaks out even in brothels, even amongst prostitutes. You see, God is bigger than our brokenness, and God loves to redeem the places in his world that are most dark and most broken. And so let faith dream. Let God work into our lives, into the darkness, to have his life and kingdom show up. There's a book called The Kingdom of God is a Party by Tony Campolo. And it's just a recounting of a bunch of stories in Tony's life of God at work to show up in marvelous and mysterious ways. And Tony tells a story of one time being in Hawaii and preaching at a conference there. And he tells the story of being in a diner by himself early in the morning because he's jet-lagged. And in that diner, a group of women come in, and he soon discovers that they're prostitutes. And he overhears that one is named Agnes, and that tomorrow will be her birthday. And these prostitutes are talking about how women like them don't get gifts. They don't have birthday parties thrown for them. And these women leave. And Tony stays behind and he goes to the cook and he says, hey, what's your name? And he says, it's Harry. He says, does Agnes come in with her friends every night? And he says, yes, every morning about the same time. 
He says, well, tomorrow morning, we're going to throw a birthday party for Agnes. I'll be here tomorrow night, and what I want you to do is to bake her a cake. So he came back, and he said, also spread the word to Agnes's friends that we're throwing her a birthday party. So they all came back about 2 a.m., and when Agnes came in off the streets later that morning, they jumped out in surprise to her and said, happy birthday, Agnes. There were 60 prostitutes there for this surprise birthday party. Agnes blew out the candles for her cake, but she wouldn't cut the cake because she said that this is the first birthday cake that she's ever had in her life, and she wasn't about to cut things short. Tony didn't know what to do, so he just said, "Uh, how about we pray? Everybody bowed their heads, and he prayed that she would know love. He prayed that she wouldn't have to live like that, said mascara was everywhere. And after the prayer, Harry says, you didn't tell me that you were a preacher. He says, what type of church do you pastor? And Tony says, I pastor a church that throws parties for prostitutes at 2 a.m. Harry said, that's not true. There's no such a thing like that. Because if there were a church like that, I would belong to it. Friends, Tony gives us a picture of faith's action. He throws a party for Agnes because of the gospel. He throws a party for a prostitute because of the gospel. He throws a party at a random diner because of the gospel. Because Tony knows his Bible well. He knows that God has worked in the past in brothels, in prostitutes, in strangest situations, in strangest places. And Tony planted the seeds of faith, not knowing where those seeds were going to go not knowing whether they were going to bear fruit, but knowing that his God was big enough to cause them to bear fruit. Friends, the same is true for us. Our job is to seek to plant seeds of faith all over God's good world, not knowing what God's going to do for them, but trusting that our God is big enough to cause them to grow, to cause them to flourish. And we do that when we come to realize that we're all like Agnes. We're all like Rahab. We all come to this place needy and broken. We all come to this place saying, how could God throw a party for me? How could God love me so much that he's called me to himself, that he gathers me around his table, this table of love? How could God love me enough? that he would give his life for mine, even to the point of death, even death on the cross. Friends, when we come to understand that this story, that this is our story, it's going to energize our faith, energize our action, and it's going to energize fruit in God's world because God shows up. God is faithful. In just a minute, we're going to come and feast with our Savior. And it's at this table that God's life continues to bear fruit in the world. As we receive Jesus and all that he is for us, he sends us out as his people to bear fruit in his name. Just like he did in the story of Rahab and the spies. Just like he did in Tony's story. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that the story of your reign 
the story of your life, the story of your love would be the story that controls us. And that putting our faith into this story will cause us to love sacrificially in countless creative ways. And that you would bear fruit through our planting of seeds in your good world. Lord, for this we need your grace. For this we need your Holy Spirit. For this we need Jesus. That his life, that his love, that his giving of himself even to death would continue to bear good fruit in his world. For his sake we pray. Amen.